Hello, hello, bonjour, salamu alaikum, wherever you are in the world, welcome to Stand Out From The Crowd, the podcast dedicated to helping you amplify your voice, impact, and influence. If you're new here, welcome again. My name is Doreen Benamara, and I'm pleased every Wednesday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time to... Uh, come live here on LinkedIn with a standout expert to talk about topics, you know, that matters to our personal and professional development. As usual, use the comment section to introduce yourself, tell us where you are tuning in from. I know we have a beautiful international community here. Ask your questions to the experts that are live with us because this is your opportunity to get direct answers and maybe you know to get the, the the feedback the advice you were searching for so today we are talking about winning workplaces and how do you build healthy workplace a reputable workplace isn't created by chance right we all know that the design the creation and fostering a uh, an environment where people feel valued are productive and like coming and they like coming to work are deliberate action taken by organizations and by their leaders, you know, with the idea to uh, create healthy workplace culture. Our stand-up guest today, Lydia Bowser, has demonstrated success. Hi, she's highly successful. And listen to me carefully in building award-winning workplaces and HR teams, having won a place on the top 50 best workplaces in Canada every year since, nine, since 2018, people, and making the best workplaces in Canada list for women and mental health, and most recently winning the Innovative HR Team Award. So if you have not grabbed your pen and notebook yet, the time is now. Because in this episode, Lydia is going to share her own experience and insight on how to create a culture of respect and integrity, leading with empathy and compassion, and leading by example so you can build an award-winning workplace culture. So please help me welcome Lydia Bowser to the Stand Up From The Crowd podcast. How are you doing, Lydia? Lydia? I'm great. Thanks so much. How are you, Doreen? I'm doing well. So how do you feel when you hear people seeing all the great achievements that you have achieved so far, helping, you know, the company you work for, like achieving, like, and being on the top 50 list of the best workplaces in Canada? Years um, after years. It's a good <laughs> exercise in overcoming my imposter syndrome because uh, I'm like, oh, I created that. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, it, sometimes you forget to think back and reflect on everything that you've been able to accomplish, uh, but very proud um, and really happy with how much I've grown as an individual and a professional to be able to do those things. And that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about your journey in HR and how did you uh, maybe transition from doing HR recruiting, you know, uh, uh, and, and all these uh, specific tasks to building a winning culture and winning workplaces? Yeah, it, uh, through a number of things. So I got into HR by chance. I was doing a psychology psychology degree and I got a summer job helping an HR manager and it was, I didn't know what HR was at the time and hadn't even heard of it. But as soon as I worked that summer, I'm like, I need to do this. I need to help 
create great experiences for the people that help organizations be successful. Um, and there, from there, I, I went on into HR. So I've been in it since the beginning of my career um, and was always very hungry when I was uh, young in my career because I could see so much opportunity, but wasn't in a position where I had any influence or power or, or experience behind me to be able to create the change and create the environments that I wanted to. But during that time, I did get to know a lot of people because I would stick my myself into any conversation that I could to learn, to ask questions, um, build mentors around me that would help me learn and grow, give me good feedback. Um, and it takes, you, you know, you don't always find good ones, but really holding on to those good ones that help empower you, even though, um, you know, when you were younger, you know, they probably would have had some interesting feedback on like, maybe this is not really doable, but they never made you feel like what you were mm -hmm. looking for couldn't be achieved. And so, and that really, uh, you know, lets the fire continue to burn. And so um, to get to a position where I was able to have, be able to create this type of environment, um, it took a lot of patience. Um, and I talk about this in one of my keynote speeches that I, I had previously, I was always like, in this position where like, I'm just not doing enough and how do I do more? But you have to be patient because there's a lot to learn. I had to gather all of those experiences in order to be able to be effective. And so it was necessary um, and really figuring out what I stood for as an HR leader and as a leader in general, it takes time and patience as well. And so I'm grateful, even though during it, I was like, oh, I'm not good enough. I need to be in better positions and mm. I need to move. Um, I'm grateful that I did have And I got to where I'm at currently because I had contacts. I, I previously uh, worked with the president of, of Hyundai Canada. I worked there for the past seven years. Um, and I just recently left, I'm at a new startup creating, um, taking on some new challenges, learning how to do global HR from scratch as a startup. But during that time at Hyundai, I'd previously worked with the president. I knew the HR director. And so when they needed a position, because we'd have these uh, relationships built up, they reached out to me. And so it was through the relationships that I had built that had given me the opportunity to have a platform to be able to create a great workplace. And so this is how you see first how mentorship is very important. Secondly, how building relationships is very important. And then you mentioned something that is very interesting. You said because I, I always felt like I wasn't doing enough, but I always thought I needed to accumulate more and more experience. So how did you make the shift from, oh, I'm not doing not enough to I'm not enough to, oh, I can make the difference. I have what it takes to make the difference. I had to find the right workplace. And I feel like a lot of people will hold on to a workplace that is no longer serving them for a number of different reasons. We're taught that, you know, you need to stick it out so that you have a really good chunk of time on your resume so that you look loyal. And I, I used to think that when I was younger, and I, I don't think that anymore. There's so many reasons that people leave organizations, um, and it's not necessarily a reflection on them. In most cases, it's a reflection on the company. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything negative about the company. There are thousands and thousands of companies that we can each work for, and it doesn't make sense that we're going to personally align with every single one of them. And I think there's something yeah. to be said about figuring out if a place doesn't align for whatever reason and cutting the ties, just like with a relationship. You're not going to string someone along for either party 
um, you need to recognize it, make the decision uh, and let that go. Because uh, there is a place that you will find that's going to be the perfect fit and it's going to allow you to achieve what you want to achieve. And that's what I found when I went to Hyundai. And all of a sudden you just have this feeling like, okay, this feels good. This clicks, this works. I'm putting these suggestions out there and they're telling me to run with it. And I'm like, you mean you don't have eight pages of notes to tell me what I'm doing wrong and what I should do instead? Um, Cause that's what I had experienced before. I'm like, okay. And then I started running with things <laughs> and what I found, <clears throat> excuse me, the most successful in um, being in a position to help create a culture was listening and building trust and none mm -hmm. of these, none of the things that create the foundation for a great workplace cost money. It's about relationships and it's about people and how you make them feel like nobody 15 years from now is going to remember who hired them at Hyundai. Maybe. I think we gave good experiences, <laughs> um, but they're going to remember how they felt about being hired at Hyundai. And so it's every experience that they're having that if you can leave them with a feeling that's what they're going to remember. And you have to let go of the fact that they may not remember that it was you, but you know that you were behind it. Yeah, here your ego might take yeah. a hit, <laughs> but which you is know, like, which is fine because you know deep inside that you are contributing to something that is bigger than you. And I really like the fact that you said it doesn't cost money to build a positive workplace culture and when you see to me it resonates a lot because when you see all these big giant companies pouring like money into programs dai initiatives women's blah 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 and this and this and at the end of the day it doesn't have any of very little impact on the workplace culture like that brings question actually as to what you do win it's not the right thing. And it's not because you have the capacity to inject a lot of money that it means this is the right thing to do. And you said it, listening and building trust with people is the most powerful thing to do. So now, since you have been building winning, award-winning workplace cultures for the past four years now, um, what are the key ingredients to ensure that you create a workplace when people feel good, where people are happy to come to work, and to the point that you get that ultimate recognition by being acknowledged for uh, your workplace culture. I think some foundational stuff is, is building trust with people. And even though what I'm about to share is from an HR standpoint, I think it's for any leader standpoint. Um, one, I will never ask my team to do anything that I don't know how to do or am not willing to do myself. Um, I'm not above any of it. Um, and also recently having experienced working with some C-suite levels who now that I've, they've been working for 40 years, they're so far out of the hands-on. I'm glad that I'm now realizing the importance of keeping the hands-on experience. Um, so even it doesn't matter what kind of level I get to as an executive in HR, I want to be able to maintain that. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the reminder. But then you also need to, whenever someone comes to talk to me, so whether it's a team member, it's an HR team member and I'm building my team, or it's the workforce that I'm supporting, um, I, I make it very clear that um, I'm there to be trusted, the information that they share with me, unless it, it, I have a legal obligation to report it. The information stays with me and I extend the same 
um, uh, courtesy to my team. They don't have to tell me everything that's happening with the employees that they talk to unless they need my help or my advice, or uh, again, if it's a legal uh, situation, um, so that they can make sure that they're building the trust with the people. Because uh, I don't need that person to be able to come to me if they're going to go to my team member, that's just as good. And so I always give them three options too. I'm either, I'm, I make it very clear that I'm here to just listen. So I, I can just be here for someone if you just need to get it off your chest, talk about it. I'm here to give advice if your request, sorry, my light just went up. As went up. Here to give uh, advice too. Sorry, my uh, partner's in IT. He's got sensors all over the place. Um, so um, I'm there to give advice if they are requesting that and, and what I would suggest that they do. Um, and not only do I have that from a leadership perspective, from the HR perspective too, which I think is helpful, or if they really want me to get involved, I'll get involved. But that's kind of the third option. Um, so we exhaust all the other options ahead of that, um, which does, I think, create a challenge in that then people want more of your time. People trust you, so they come to you. And so even you've got a lot of stuff on your plate. Um, so just recognize that if you do create that environment, people are going to be vying for some time on your calendar. Um, but that was really the foundation of, of building everything and understanding that um, being consistent, just, you know, kind of defining what we wanted this workplace to be. And it wasn't just me. It was the leadership together, you know, this is what we wanted to create, and then infusing that into everything we did. And again, it still didn't cost any money, I would create our own training presentations, and I would present them, or anytime there was an opportunity to reinforce the values, the type of culture that we were trying to create, you just keep saying it over and over again, and then holding people accountable to it. And eventually, that's what people come to expect and know what's expected of them. And so it cost us nothing and it took time. And, um, but if you've heard of the aggregate of marginal gains, it only takes tiny little changes yeah. to add up to very big changes over time. Exactly. That's the, the, the addition of everything that we do every single day, you know, the little things that we do every single day that will add up and make that change happens. But now from a leader's perspective, you said, and that's, that's, that's a, follow-up question that I have for you. The fact that you make yourself available, that you, you make yourself uh, aware that you are here for them to talk, to, to discuss whatever they want to discuss, it is very important. I agree with you on that. But on the other side, how do you, how and where do you draw the line between, you know, making yourself available for your team members, but also setting boundaries so you don't exhaust yourself and drain yourself as a leader? The easiest one is even when I'm recruiting, like if I'm going to email someone at 8 p.m. at night, I'm like, they might think that that's the type of workplace we are. And it's not. Maybe I'm just catching up from the day or I have a lot of flexibility in my current role. Um, so I dropped off the kids in the morning. So I'm kind of just catching up at night. But I'm always aware of what that's making the other person think or feel, whether it's someone, if we're recruiting for positions or if it's my own team and if it's the employees. So that helps um, because I would never, you know, I know what I'm trying to create as a workplace and that works against it. And then setting your own boundaries, which is always a work in progress. So I feel like you need to 
give yourself grace. And if something's not working, try something else. So I have tried all different number of things. When pre-COVID, when we were in the office, I would put up signs on my doors. With the facilities department, we tried out these little lights that would connect to my status on my computer. So it was red if I was do not disturb, green if I was open for people to come to my desk. Uh, mm. No one paid attention to it. It didn't work got rid of it, tried something else. Um, so calendar blocking helps um, as well. But then if you calendar block, you also have to stick to it. If people think that they can just book over your what, what you've got in there, which I did allow people to do for a time, um, and it, it, it doesn't work. And we were talking about this previously a little bit. Um, COVID, I, you know, was traumatic there's a lot of things that have come of that, but there's, I feel like there's also a lot of positive, especially for the professional work environment. I had a baby during the pandemic as well. And because my partner was home, like the relationship that they have being home together every day. And even though he was working, he could come put her down for a nap and come play with her in the afternoon. The relationship with them is completely different than our older daughter that I had mm -hmm. before the pandemic. But relating back to the workplace, I feel like now that I'm working from home, it's even easier to protect the workplace and I do go to the office occasionally and I know that might not work for everybody because you have to be in the office um, but it makes it easier because when I guess when you're at a site maybe people are less vying for like yeah. oh you can go have a meeting right now um, when really um, I, I find it makes it a lot easier to be able to protect my calendar. I, I do a calendar blocking as well but I explain it to my team members and mm -hmm. I let them know listen this is what I do in the morning. This is what I do in, in the afternoon. This is what I focus on. And this is the time that I have available for any questions, any concerns, anything that you would like to raise. So, um, and I stick to it because otherwise I found myself either working uh, from home or working at the office. Um, I get easily overwhelmed if I let, I let the, I left the door open or if I, I, I allow people to jump into my calendars at times where I need to focus. So I think another way also to be able to stick to your calendar is to just communicate about it and make your team members aware of what's happening, how you get organized and how you uh, have room for them. So everyone can feel comfortable communicating and sharing. I, I, this is my method. And uh, so far, so good. I want to say I found it be, being uh, very effective. I think so. And recently in my current role, we've been talking about creating these profiles, kind of like for sales, we create these personas of, you know, who we're going to approach for sales. But as a leadership team, we're trying to get to know each other and understanding like how we like to work, when we like to work, when we're the most effective. So not so it goes kind of beyond just the, okay, I block this time. Um, which I do. I block the morning and I block the afternoon for this for the specific times where I drop off my kids and I pick them up um, because that brings me a lot of joy and it makes yeah. it, you know and I and I don't like missing that stuff because um, I don't have to now. Before I would have never been able to be here for those things, and so um, so it, it goes into those types of things of like why I'm blocking those times and I'm, I put it right on my calendar. I'm like I'm picking up my daughter. I'm leaving at five to go to ba my daughter's ballet class. And our other executives are the same way. Um, when their kids have stuff, like they put it right in their calendars and everyone knows what they're going for. So we know that everyone's got personalized and we see that side of them. Um, and I also think that um, this kind of extends beyond just the, just the calendar blocking and boundaries. But once you start to realize what you're really good at and what you're not, 
and accepting those things and trying new things, it opens up a whole new world. Like I know that I am bad at boundaries. And so I've just come to accept that. And I try to do better each week. Um, and, uh, but I'm like, it, it relates to everything. I'm not very good at reading a whole book from front to cover, but if you give me the audio book, I'm going to listen to the whole thing. And if it's really good, I'm not going to stop. Um, I'm just not, and, and for years, and this can relate to anything, whether it's a work skill or something else like that, I'd always be hard on myself. Like, why can't I just sit and read a book like other people? Um, and and I would I would be bringing my own self down. I'm like, well, no, I'm just that's just not how I intake information. So I found a better way to do it. And then I also need to realize that I'm good at other stuff. Um, so yeah, it's fine. You know, realizing the right balance. Yes, I, I do believe it's about knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. It's about self-awareness. The more you know yourself, the more you will be able to set boundaries. And actually, um, uh, we, we talked on this on this podcast about how to set healthy uh, boundaries a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the more you know yourself, the more you are able to set the, those boundaries and to communicate about it. But it takes first to know yourself in order to communicate better about it. So before we, 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 we pursue the interview, we have a few comments here from our beautiful audience. Will Sullivan, who says, hello, Will is all about uh, kindness and leadership. And Jennifer also says, I agree with you, Lydia. You really need to find a workplace that reflects who you are or perfected. And the people will remember how they felt being part of a workplace, being part of your team, indeed. So now I do believe, and I would assume there was, you were, your tasks, your role was different before uh, the the COVID-19 pandemic and after. I do believe the work that was asked for you to do in order to build those winning workplaces is not the same work that is asked you to do, uh, that is being asked you to do now to build winning workplaces. So how did you, Leave the shift first, because I do believe it required a lot of flexibility on your end, but also what are the main changes that you have seen and that you have been implementing uh, in order to build those winning workplaces in 2022 post-COVID-19? Yeah, I think at the beginning it was survival mode. So um, I felt lucky in the role that I was at because we'd already built a people-centric culture. And so we just um, you know, amplified that as soon as COVID hit, we, we literally dropped everything and every, it it was a mandate on my team. We would call every single employee, 250 of them within a three week span. And then we would start from the beginning. And our first question was never about like, how's work? It'd be like, how are you doing? Is your family healthy? Are you safe? You know, do you have everything you need? Those were our very first questions. And so I think people really appreciated that. Um, and now that we're kind of living in this pre post pandemic world um, with some alterations, um, especially with our expectations at work, um, I think that there's a lot of changes in people now setting stronger boundaries, mm-hmm. leaving workplaces. I did so myself, um, you know, because I wanted to try a new challenge. And there are other reasons as well for like for flexibility, that kind of stuff. So I think we have to um, understand that there are lots of people making changes, but in, as workplaces, we need to focus on a few things to uh, to continue to create great workplaces for people. Um, one, I think, is development. If you didn't 
have programs for it before we did. So we were lucky. Um, I think that's critical if you can't show people how they're going to grow and learn. And I think people are now more on board with the fact that development isn't just a promotion. It's, yeah. you know, we, you're a, a branching tree and you're moving all over the place up, down and all around um, and you know, opportunities to learn um, come in all different shapes and sizes. So you need to be able to provide those to people. And I think you also, you need to be able to create, make sure that if you're in a hybrid workplace or even if you're not in a hybrid workplace, you have to be realize that work is forever changed and you need to be able to create the same connections. So if people are forced to come in the office, like how do you make this palatable for people um, if that's required for your business? If it's not, you need to take an honest look at it and create a workplace that supports your business, but also supports people. And then you need to be able to create connections. And it doesn't, you know, I've, I've, we have a principal investor that oversees our company right now, and we've been meet, meeting on a weekly basis, and I'm really grateful for his mentorship. And and he's previously been in positions where he's overseen hundreds, 100,000 employees. And I could tell immediately just through a video the type of leader he was and, it, and, it, and how he made you feel. You don't have to be in person to be able to create those connections. So mm. you got to be creative. Yeah. So how, how, how do you feel about employees employers forcing their employees to come back to work i think that it is i understand their mentality of this is how people learn and grow and develop and that's not untrue you know if you're in the office a few days a week and you're hearing conversations happen and you can peek in and ask questions that's really hard to replace but Everyone has like, I think now we recognize there are so many different styles of people, of how they work, neurodivergent people, um, all different levels of, of how they work best. And we recognize that now, whereas we all had to fit into the same cookie cutter way of working 10 plus years ago. That's no longer the case. And I feel like that might not be continued to be considered. Um, find out how your people work the best and let them create an experience that's for them. Um, so maybe not necessarily a blanket approach. I heard someone say yesterday, a peanut butter approach, just spreading the peanut butter on everybody. I like that actually. I'm like, Oh, um, it's because the same thing's not going to work for everybody. And I found that out during the pandemic. Some people hated being at home. Other people loved it and didn't want to come back. So how can you create an environment that's going to bring the best out of everybody and also be realistic and say, you know, if you want to be the CEO of this company, but you're not willing to come in any day and, and, and learn in other ways, um, then that might be a limitation to you. So you need to be realistic about those things too. I, I agree with you on that. And talking about, you know, the workplace shift, before, just before the live, we we were having this conversation talking how the the workplace has evolved, uh, like in in the past few years. And I would like you to share the story where you, when you were asked to go home to change your outfit, because you know, I mean, that's that's crazy for me because you would believe that's the kind of story that you would hear from the the previous generations right and uh, we are millennials here we are the millennials and so we are now uh, the, the 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 largest uh generation in the workforce and so some of the some of us now are in their mid 30s 
uh, some of us are like reaching their 40s. So when we talk about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't so long ago. But tell us a little bit about this, these stories and how that would never, I don't see it taking place in the workplace right now. That would literally be impossible. I know the most shocking, like I'm, I'm 39. And so I've been working in my career for 16 years. And it's not the sh most shocking part is that it's not that long ago. My first job, mm -hmm. I came to work, I thought I was dressed nicely, I had a um, I had dress pants on, but they were crop dress pants. So I think capris, we called them back then, the, the word crop didn't come up then. And so I was sent home to change into pants that covered my full leg. And then they was asked to come back to work. So I had to drive all the way home, change and come back. I'm like, I cannot imagine any of that happening today. Um, I mentioned too, as well, at, at a previous workplace, the president sitting at the office window, he had a corner office so he could see the parking lot, making sure everyone was in at their desk on time uh, and making a list of people who weren't in and at their desk by 830. Um, I can't even imagine that happening now. Um, and I'm grateful for the pandemic escalating the change in the workplace and the way that we work as much as it has. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That would that would literally to me it sounded crazy when you shared those stories with me. But like today, like the CEO or the leader asking, uh, you know, having this kind kind of behavior would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so now you have. So before we wrap up, you have started your own venture uh, seven months ago. That's correct. So tell us more, uh, a little bit more about it and how you help in what capacity you help companies uh, building winning uh, workplace culture. Well, I, I left for an auto tech startup. So it's a Toronto-based startup. I'm their global okay. head of HR. Uh, and so when I was approached for the role, the fact that it was still in automotive, which is what I have a lot of experience in, but it was technology, I was very excited about the opportunity. So we are building this company from the ground up um, processes. So I'm learning a ton outside of HR. So I feel like I'm getting which I haven't had in previous experiences, this opportunity to build relationships with executives and help them build the business in a way and it's just so it's just so different and interesting that i like we're creating this culture while creating a business and because we're doing it together i feel like it's going to happen very easily um mm. not to say that it's not going to take a lot of work but um i think that with the experience that i've got and i'm respected for those experiences and people are listening to my opinions um, and what we should do to be able to create an environment. Um, and now, because we're a startup, I'm also doing all of the recruitment. So I get to have these conversations and, and I can explain exactly what we're trying to build. And so people can really feel it. Um, not that that will last forever, because as we get bigger, we'll have to have more team members. But I feel like I feel really privileged to be able to create it from scratch because I think that we'll be award, you know, even whether we have an award to show it or not, we will be. Uh, be able to be comparable to award-winning workplaces uh from the get-go wow that's 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 beautiful that's powerful and that's very empowering yes yeah so lydia 
we are coming to an end. It's It's been 30 minutes already, time flies. And I love to have those conversations with uh, the stand-up guests because, you know, I feel that we could talk for hours about those topics because they do matter and they do have an impact on the way we lead and most importantly, the way we influence and impact people. So uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us for today's episode of Stand Up From The Crowd. And for those of you watching the replay, Feel free to leave your comment and question in the comment section. And I will see you next week, Wednesday, for another live episode of Stand Up From The Crowd. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Lydia. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> nice comment. <laughs>